we gather for Easter and we sing songs about life and we sing songs about resurrection, it, it can feel a little bit like we're telling an incomplete story because we, we all know that that's in the end, that's, that's coming, but that's a someday, but, but, but today, today there's some stings, aren't there? Today, life, life is awe-inspiring, and it can be awful. Life is, life is painful, and it's powerful. Life can be holy in one moment and, and, and harrowing in the next. I mean, that's the, that's the life that we live, isn't it? We have these moments of bliss and then we have the reality of, of brokenness. If you've ever been on a vacation and if you're anything like me, I'm a, I'm a time guy, so I always wanna know how many days until the vacation, how many days are we gonna be on vacation and then once we hit halfway point on the vacation, anybody with me? I start doing a time clock in my mind of this is great but it's gonna end. Am I sick or are we in this together? Okay, so about halfway in, I'm going, yeah, this is great. Day clicks over. Next day, I'm like, oh, no, it's ending, right? And the beauty of being there is sort of overshadowed by the reality that life's coming again. And it's temporary. And I think so much of our lives, they carry with it that in the shadows, we hear this voice saying, yeah, it's good, but it's temporary. And it's good, but eventually you'll have to say goodbye. And it's beautiful, but eventually you'll breathe your last breath. And the Hebrew poets of old had this way of talking about death, and here's what they said. They said, and they sort of had this word picture, they, they said, the, the cords of death entangled me. They, they sort of, they like, they wrapped around me. They were all encompassing, and at times it was all that I could think about. The anguish of the grave came over me. This, this, this voice is lurking in the shadows, like, this is coming for us all. We know that. And he writes, I was overcome by distress and, and sorrow. That these cords of death that entangle all of us, he said, eventually, they just, they, they overcame me with sorrow. If you've ever buried a loved one, if you've packed up their room like that psalm talks about, you, you know those cords, don't you? And the scriptures had this way of, of talking about them that help us relate to, okay, so, so the Bible's invitation isn't to just fast forward through the pain of life. It's not to just fast forward through things like a miscarriage, through things like a death, through things like a loss of a job or a livelihood that we thought was our plan or a loss of a dream. The Bible doesn't call us to just ignore these things. And here's the great news of Easter. Easter doesn't ask you to ignore those things either. There's a reason that these chords don't feel natural. It's because you were never intended to experience them. 
The reason we never get used to death is because we have this like residual, eternal residue within all of us where we go, this isn't right. Something's messed up about that. And will you look up at me for just a moment? Lean in. Here's the reason why. That this was not a part of God's original design. As we read through the scriptures, you have in the very first part of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, you have this creation poem, this creation narrative where God creates and he goes, it's good. And he does that six days. And on the sixth day, he steps back and he goes, oh, it's very good. So if you're God, you can high five yourself. And that's what he does. He goes, oh, I've done something like pretty amazing here. I'm awesome. I'm God. And do you know what was not a part of his original design? Death. Sorrow. Pain. And so we have inside of us this longing to shed these cords, but we all know that that's not easy, and it's not even possible. And so we try different things, don't we? We, we try like rationalization where we go, well, everything happens for a reason. And we have in the back of our mind, like, I can't think of a reason that this would happen. (laughs) And then we, like, start to rationalize with ourselves, like, if we believe that about everything in our life, then we have to believe that about everything in the world, and then we have things like the Holocaust and things like tsunamis, and we've, God's got to be more creative than that, right? Everything happens for a reason. Now, God can make reason out of terrible things. He can bring good out of bad situations, but not everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is the world's broken. Or sometimes, especially in Christian circles, it's like, hey, just turn that frown upside down. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And sometimes you just feel like, well, the cords of death are entangling me. And some of us, we try to outrun it. We try to outrun the cords. We, we, we plan the next adventure. We live for the next momentary bliss, the next encounter the next great meal that makes us pause for a few moments and go, man, life is beautiful. Life is great. And don't hear me wrong. It is, but that's momentary, isn't it? And so if you're here this morning and you're going, well, hey, Paulson, thanks for the uplifting Easter message. (laughs) You're welcome. Let's close in prayer, okay? (laughs) No, I think we sing about the end of the story, but we live in the middle So let's talk about that. Let's enter in. Let's ask the question, for those who are first following the way of Jesus, what was their hope? Was it that death wasn't a reality? Was it that grief wasn't an actual thing? Actually, it's just the opposite. See, Easter invites us to look honestly at the grief of life and hold on to the hope that God is not done. So here's the way Paul will say to the church at Thessalonica, because this was a church that he had relationship with. It was a church that he wrote to, and it, it seems like they asked him this question. Hey, Paul, like, what do we do with death? What do we do with people that have passed away? And here's what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed 
We want you to have all the information. We want you to know what's true. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep, which is sort of the Bible's um, picture of death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no what? Hope. Sometimes it's helpful to point out what he doesn't say before we talk about what he does say. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, because we believe in Jesus, we don't grieve anymore. Turn that frown upside down. Bury your head in the sand, pretend like it doesn't sting. Can we take a moment and celebrate the fact that that's not what we're told? That there's a recognition of our humanity here? So we grieve. And, and it means literally in, this, in the Greek, it's this picture of we feel it in the depths and in the bowels of our soul. We feel it deeply. But what Paul says is we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who have no hope. So he says there's, a, there's another power at work. That we have the cords of death, certainly, but wrapped around those cords are this hope. This hope that we have that God's not done with his world. And if you were to ask an, a believer in God, a, a Hebrew, about the word hope, they would have said, oh, there's, there's two words for hope in, in our Old Testament scriptures. There's this first word, and it's the word, and you sort of have to clear your throat when you say it. So <clears throat> if you need to do anything before we do this together, do it. <clears throat> It's the word yakal. Will you say that with me? Yakal. Right. And it means simply to wait. To wait. Often translated hope. Some of you had to yakal for your kids to get ready this morning. Some of you had to yakal for your spouse to get ready this morning. I didn't say wife, I said spouse. I mean, equal opportunity offender, it's Easter, okay? It means simply to wait. But they had this other word. This word is the word kava. Will you say it with me? Kava. But it means it's a different sort of word picture than just to wait. Because kava, the first little root word here, kav, is the word cord. And literally, to wait for the Hebrew people meant to put tension on a cord. You got one when you walked in today in your uh, little service guide. Will you get that out for me and will you hold on to it? As you're doing that, will you put some tension on it? Some of you had to kavah for your kids to get ready this morning. There was some tension there, right? Maybe it involved some yelling in the car. Who knows? Christ is risen. Hurry up. Will you rise out of your bed already? <laughs> That's called kava. But it's this picture that hope is hard work. You do not hope passively. You don't hope by accident. It doesn't happen just, oh, accidentally. I didn't see hope coming. No, hope is hard work. It's Tension, which is also the reason that for some of us in this room, our hands slipped off that cord of hope and we feel hopeless. And some of you, you've, you've walked in this door and the thing you related to most was that song about saying goodbye to somebody you love. 
and the darkness that often encompasses this life that we live. You've you've lost hold of hope. And what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you into the Easter story, the resurrection story. Followers of Jesus for centuries and centuries have been finding their hope in one place and one place alone. They've been holding this tension in between this world that we live in that is stained with a death that God never intended us to live in and the hope that he is reversing the curse that we introduced into his good world. And so Paul will will not stop with we grieve, but not without hope. Here's what he says. He says for. So he's going to give us the reason. This is the foundation of Christianity. For we believe that Jesus died and that he, what? Rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, for early followers of Christ, their hope was not in a circumstance. Their hope was in an event that they looked back on and said, this thing that happened in Jerusalem has changed everything. It was not wishful thinking, okay? So please hear me. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have something way better than coping, way better than rationalization, way better than just being optimistic, way better than wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is, man, I really hope that the Rockies win the World Series, even though they still have no pitching, Or I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl with no quarterback. I mean, uh, wishful thinking, right? That's not what followers of Jesus have. Wishful thinking is gone when Jesus walks out of the grave. No, 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 no. Jesus followers aren't called to wishful thinking. We are called to resurrection-informed hope. Don't be ignorant about what happened. It happened, sure, it happened 2,000 years ago, but the effects of that event shape the world that we live in today. When Mary and Martha walk up to that open tomb and they see that the stone has been rolled away, what is emanating forth from that vacuous space is hope. God is not done with his world. And I get it. If you're a a skeptic, And you're here today, somebody dragged you in, somebody twisted your arm, this is a tradition, this is family, and you're not really into this, and I I can see where you're coming from. So could the early followers of Jesus, by the way. A resurrection back then was just as hard to believe as a resurrection would be today. They just had the experience of seeing it. And they couldn't get over it. I mean, I mean, I get it. We have gospel accounts that seemingly contradict themselves. Um, listen, do you know that the authors of those gospel accounts knew those quote-unquote contradictions also? They had each other's writings. I, I mean, I know. The Roman soldiers, they didn't make any account of the empty tomb. I get it. I get it. A physician would say that when you're dead, you stay dead. And I would say that's absolutely true the majority of the time. (laughs) It's just not true every time. See, because here's what I also get. Without a resurrection of Jesus, 
you have absolutely zero way of explaining the way that Christianity has taken root around the globe. You have no way of explaining the way that a fearful, ragtag band of followers somehow get the courage to walk into cities, to stand up to leaders, to be killed and lose their life because of this message. See, while resurrection may be hard to believe, it's easier to believe than believing all of those things happened without it. I love the way I think Chuck Colson put it so well when he said this. He said, I know the resurrection is fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How, he says? Well, because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. And when they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, they never once denied it. Each one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would have not endured if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie going for more than three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me that 12 apostles kept the lie going for 40 years? He says, absolutely impossible. And so they looked back on this event and they go, oh, this is the reason that we can hope. We can live in the cords of death and that's a reality, but we can look forward to a day when that will be no more because of what Jesus has done. There's this foundation that we stand on. And let me just give you a few things that that foundation meant for early followers of the way of Jesus. Look at this with me. Verse 14 of chapter 4 in First Thessalonians. For we believe that Jesus, say this with me, died and rose again. They couldn't stop talking about it. They, they couldn't get over it. If you read through, and I encourage you to do it at some point, read through the evangelistic sermons in the book of Acts, this account of the way that the way of Jesus spread. When people first started talking about Jesus in their proclamation of the good news, do you know how many times those early sermons reference going to heaven when you die? Zero. You know how many of the early sermons in the, of the way of Jesus talk about avoiding hell when you die? Zero. Do you know how many of them talk about resurrection? Every single one of them. Because it changed the game. It changed the world that they live in. So Paul, when he's preaching at this place called the Areopagus, he says that for he, God, has set a day when he will judge or straighten out the world with justice by the man, Jesus, who he's appointed. He has given, say it with me, proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Sermon after sermon after sermon. Here's their hope that Jesus' resurrection validated his message and vindicated his lordship. Here's a way of looking at it. When Jesus walks out of the grave, it is God's stamp of approval on everything that Jesus has said and taught and modeled and done with his life. God's looking back and going, that's what I'm talking about. 
when the outcasts are welcomed in. That's what God's talking about. When the people who are broken receive life, that's what God's talking about. When the blind receive sight, when the lame walk, when the woman who's caught in the act of adultery is forgiven, when anger is released, when our shame is shed and our guilt is taken away, that's what God's talking about. And when Jesus walks out of the grave, his message is vindicated, his life is glorified, and your mission is now set. Live in his way. Follow in his footsteps of doing the things that he did. God is at work in the world through Jesus. That's what the early followers of Christ said. They couldn't get over it. They couldn't get over it. If you don't write anything else down today, write this down. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. And that's not some pastoral hyperbole. That's truth. If there's no resurrection... There is no Christianity. But look at this another way. When Jesus walks out of the grave, where does he put his feet? Not a trick question. He puts them on the ground. He puts them on the dirt. Uh, He puts them in a place where if you were to go to Israel, you could find a similar spot with similar soil, and you could put your feet in the exact same place place. When he walks out of the grave, he goes to his friend Thomas, and he goes, Thomas, I know you're having a hard time with this. I get it. Why don't you put your hands in my scars? Touch it. Touch it, Thomas. Put, put your hands in my side and, and touch it, Thomas, and, and it's physical. <laughs> it's material. It's, it's there. It's on this earth in front of him. Here's what doesn't happen. And this is a story we often tell, isn't it? It's the story that we often imagine that God is telling. That Jesus dies for our sins and then just goes straight to heaven and we're going to follow him. You will. You will follow him to heaven, but you will also be resurrected back on earth. Because what Jesus does when he walks out of the tomb is he says, this world matters to me. Matter matters to me. You want to write it down, you could say it like this. Through the resurrection, this is the hope that early followers of Jesus had. That creation is affirmed as good. Matter matters to God. It says, though God looks back at Genesis chapter 1 and all of his poetics, it is good. And when Jesus walks out of the grave, he goes, did I stutter? It's good really good. And I am for my creation. So much so that God was not content to discard us because of sin and brokenness of evil, but that he was intent on restoring us and renewing us back to his original design. So why should this matter for us? Two reasons. One, if Jesus had a physical body and the hope isn't just that one day we'll get out of here, People matter to God, and people matter to us. People matter to God, and people matter to us. C.S. Lewis said it like this. You are, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. You haven't. That's true. 
People matter to God. People matter to us. As a, as a community of faith, you guys, the, the fact that Jesus walked out of the grave is the reason that we throw something like um, a glow-in-the-dark egg hunt so that we can invite our community to come and to have fun because people matter to God. It's the reason that we run a food bank and we try to care for 60 to 100 families every single week because people matter to God. It's the reason that we partner with organizations like WizKids and North Littleton Promise because people matter to God. It's the reason that we give money to global work all around the world where people are digging wells and where people are sharing the gospel and when people are telling others, listen, you matter to God. And every time you walk through these doors, I hope that you hear some version of that message. You matter. And the resurrection tells us that matter matters. And that God is unwilling to just discard his creation project, but that he is at work renewing and restoring. So people matter to God. But you know what else matters to God? When Jesus puts his feet down on soil, when he walks around in the Judean countryside after his resurrection, here's what he's saying. I'm not done with people, and I'm not done with my creation. I'm for my creation. And right now, it feels like you have these pangs of death intertwined with this hope of life, don't you? Like, you can go and you can observe an unbelievable sunset. And you can just sort of take it in and go, man, Lord, you're amazing. You're good. This world is unreal. I mean, there's some spots on this globe that take your breath away, aren't there? And there's, then there's also some things that take your breath away in a whole different way. I guess this, this is called the Pacific Trash Heap, or island. It's an island of trash in the Pacific Ocean that as of Wednesday of this week is three times the size of France. And oftentimes followers of Jesus don't talk about these things because we get the story wrong. We, we, we think that Jesus dies and then just goes to heaven. No, no, he puts his feet back on this earth. He affirms this world matters. And Paul will write to the church at Rome, listen, creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time, asking for its redemption, which will happen when you and I are risen from the grave. People matter to God. This world matters to God. It's broken, but it's beautiful. It's intertwined with hope and grief, and one day God will straighten it all out. See, the scriptures are really clear. We read them wrong sometimes, but they're really clear. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And sometimes we read that, Behold, I'm making all new things which isn't the story. God's for this creation. He's for people. He's at work renewing, redeeming, and breathing life into things that are dead. 
like a great physician or a great architect. He's putting back together things that we have destroyed. And when Jesus walks out of the grave, he says, I will not forget I am for my creation, and I will one day restore it to be what I always intended it to be. So if the story you think about, when you think about Christianity, of is, is of escape from this world or destruction of it, it's the wrong story. The story is one of restoration. The story is one of renewal. The story is one of God at work, making all things new. And Paul says, okay, so, so that's, that's why we can have hope. And he goes, and he adds a second thing. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep, but died in him. That God will do for you what he's done for Jesus. So when we say Christ is risen, and we repeat back, he is risen indeed, to that I say yes and amen, and I want to just add, and so will you. And so will you. Um, Paul calls it in his, book of, or in his letter to the church at Corinth, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This term, first fruits, is sort of hard for us to understand. If we lived in a farming community, it wouldn't be that all that hard to understand. The first fruits were that, that first grape that popped off of a vine, or that first piece of wheat that shot out of the ground and sprouted after a long winter and harvest is starting to come. It's this picture that what's happened in one thing, this first fruits, is going to happen for all things. What happened in Jesus will happen in you. The Hebrews had this tradition, they had this offering, they called it the offering of first fruits, where they would take those first fruits and they would wave them up to God as a way to say, God, thank you for this thing that's first and we believe that there's many more to come. And they had it on the same day at the same time every single year. It was on the day that followed the Passover that followed, or the day that followed the Sabbath that followed Passover, okay? Now, before you get excited about that, let's talk about it. Passover, Jesus celebrates Passover with his disciples. He goes to the cross, is killed on Friday. On Saturday, the Jewish people had their what? Sabbath. The day that followed Saturday back then, it's the same day that followed Saturday now, it's Sunday. The same day Jesus walks out of the grave, you have Hebrew people waving their sheaves of wheat before God, waving that little grape saying, oh, there's one here, but there's many more to come. And Jesus looks at humanity and goes, there's one here, but there's many more to come. See, early followers of Jesus all around the Mediterranean, they would have their graves pointing towards Jerusalem, believing that one day they would walk out of them. They had one thing written on their gravestones, and it was this, resurgum. It was a Latin word that meant 
I will rise. I will rise. Because they believe that as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. See, friends, the reason that we can have hope intertwined with our grief is because death certainly is a reality. We're not here to ignore that today. But it's just not a finality. That one day you will be resurrected. You will have a body that the scriptures say is like Christ's resurrected body. You will be transformed. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. For the old order of things, he says, is gone. That what Jesus did in resurrecting from the grave, God says, I will be good on in restoring my creation. And we can have confidence in that, friends, that sorrow will be no more, that the existential ache that we feel in our souls about this isn't the way it was supposed to be. God will lead us into the way that it was always supposed to be. But today, today we live in hope. Today we look squarely at the world that we live in as it is, and we feel deeply We feel deeply for loss. We feel deeply because of pain. We feel deeply because of sorrow. But we recognize that this is not the end of the story. We grieve, but we do not grieve as people who have no hope. Would you read this great passage of scripture with me as we begin to close our time? It says this, death has been swallowed up in victory Where, O death, is your victory, and where, O death, is your sting? See, I think a lot of us, we hear the story of the gospel, and and here's, here's what we imagine, and here's what we think of. We think that the story of the gospel is that God sort of takes the rope, and he throws it down to us, and he's like, climb! Come on, like, climb up to me. Work hard. Be a good person. Do all the right stuff. Climb. Can I just tell you, if you're you're new to the Christian story, that that is not the story that God is telling through Jesus. He is not saying to humanity, climb. We have other versions of it too, though. Sometimes we say, okay, hold on. And that God is like the one who pulls us in. It's not the story either. You know what the story is? The story is that God loves his world so much that the rope that he throws down into it is his own person, Jesus the Christ. He steps into our brokenness. He steps into our sorrow. He steps into our pain. He steps into our death. And he doesn't say climb and he doesn't say hold on to the rope. He says, get on my back. Get on my back, like you do with your kid when they run out of gas on a hike. Get on my back. And then he climbs up the rope, and he carries us home. That's the story we celebrate today. That's the story of resurrection. And Jesus has a really simple question he asks people when he tells them about his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He says this to his friends in John chapter 11. Do you believe it? 
Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that even though you die, you shall live? Do you believe it? And it takes us letting go of some of our own coping, some of our own self-salvation projects, our self-effort, and it takes us just climbing on his back and going, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. The Bible calls that salvation. I would encourage you, if you're here this morning, you're maybe a skeptic, maybe you got dragged here, other coffee places were closed, you're like, they have free coffee here, come with me. If that's you, if that's you, can I just tell you, God's trying to get your attention today, and his invitation isn't climb up. His invitation is climb on. Climb on to me, because I have conquered sin, and I have conquered death, and I have provided forgiveness. Do you believe this? And I pray that you do, and I pray that you will, because life is being held out to you. The question is, are you gonna hold on to your death, or are you gonna reach out for his hope that he's saying is available to all today? Because friends, the grave is empty. Death has been defeated, and Jesus is victorious. Join your song in the one that never ends. Let's pray and we'll sing. Hey, thanks, amen, amen. So Lord, we thank you for this life that's available, the hope that's available in you. We love you, we worship you today, and we thank you that you care about people, that you care about your creation, that, you, that death is not a period, but it's a comma, and that you are the king of the world, the cosmos. We love you, we worship you, it's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna